Firstly, good evening. Uh, welcome and thank you very much indeed for coming. Um, this is the second uh, Breeze Little talk in association with LSE Arts and uh, we're very, very happy to be here. Um, uh, just to introduce myself uh, and my business partner, this is Josephine Breeze uh, and my name is Henry Little. Um, we're the directors of a small commercial gallery called Breeze Little. Uh, we've just moved into new permanent premises on Great Sutton Street, which is uh, just up in Clerkenwell. Um, you can find more information just uh, here. We have some press releases and on our website, uh, which is uh, www.breezelittle.com. Um, uh, firstly, um, Melanie Gerlis, um, we're very, very happy for you to be here. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, just to introduce Melanie, um, uh, Melanie has extensive experience of uh, the behavior of international art markets. Um, before joining the art newspaper in 2007, uh, she worked as a book reviewer and an art market writer um, for the publication. Um, before that, she worked in investor relations and financial public relations um, uh, for the City of London firm Finsbury for a decade. Um, Melanie also has a first-class degree in English literature from Cambridge uh, and then completed an MA with distinction from... Um, uh, in art business from Sotheby's Institute of Art and I've seen some Sotheby's people here so uh, it's uh, nice for you to be seeing an alumni. Um, just to give a, a brief um, introduction to the talk series, uh, this is actually the second one. Uh, the first was uh, an introduction to the state of the global art market uh, given by Geoffrey Bolton who is uh, uh, in the audience. There's Geoffrey. Um, Geoffrey is the managing director of Art Insight uh, and I'd encourage you to uh, talk to him afterwards. Uh, he gave a wonderful talk. Um, uh, there'll be plenty of time for questions at the end. Uh, I would encourage you to hold them until the end, um, but they will be about 15 minutes or so for questions. Um, but otherwise, Melanie, whenever you're ready, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. I've just noticed that our off screen has gone funny, but ah, it's come it's come back. Thank you very much. Thank you everyone. Um, I've never seen so many people reading the art newspaper in one place, so that's incredibly exciting for me. Um, and thank you, Henry. Thank you, Josephine, for inviting me to talk. There's quite an unusual set of circumstances that mean I am here, because the art market, um, well, last week moved to New York where there were some fairly major auctions last week and some very major auctions this week as well. Um, and Henry basically had to find the only heavily pregnant art market expert in London <laughs> to talk today. And you did it, because uh, I'm, sure I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm the only one. Um, I will talk hopefully for about maximum 45 minutes, I've been told. And then there will be time at the end for questions. Obviously, if there's something burning while I'm talking if something doesn't make sense. Please just stick your hand up, I can, I can see you all. Um, why, why do emerging buyers matter? That this might be a, an obvious question, um, but I think it's worth asking if we are going to spend the next hour thinking about emerging markets in the art market. And the answer is, like for every other market at the moment, that it's not a particularly strong, happy, supported art market in the countries that have been strong, supported, the developed art market countries. And the fact that there are countries such as China, Russia, um, the uh, Emirates and so forth 
is giving a little bit of an extra kick to the art market that would otherwise, I think, be in a lot more trouble than it currently is. And this, this painting is a, is a classic example. It's by a Victorian artist that you probably haven't heard of called Alma Tadema, who was incredibly fashionable in his time, like quite a lot of the Victorian artists, um, and then very quickly fell out of favor. Um, and this work came up this time last year at auction in New York, and it had three very, very active bidders, one from Russia, one from China, and one from the Middle East. Um, in the end, China won out um, and spent 35.9 million pounds on, oh, I mean, this is the artist's record. He has never achieved such an amount in his life for something that, you know, for a very English painter, um, has, has gone outside the UK. And um, that is exactly the sort of thing that the auction houses, the gallerists, um, and everyone in the market is very, very keen to pursue and is investing a lot of money in finding buyers like this. Um, a very quick look at the market in general. This is, this is what I would call the, you know, the, well, the developed market up till now. It's not huge compared to you know, the oil industry or most financial markets. But for a, a market that is fairly unregulated, it's a decent size. Um, it, it peaked at nearly 50 billion uh, in 2007. And these statistics, I tell you, they come from a report that was done for the European Fine Art Fair by an economist called Claire McAndrew. And the good thing about her, her statistics is that she polls art dealers as well as auction houses, whereas most of the public data, I'm sure some of you are aware, most of the public data you can get is only about auction prices. How secure uh, her data is, we'll never know, but it's pretty good. It seems to make sense to most of us, and it's the best. That And um, Art Insights data, which also has, has its own bespoke uh, analysis. It's pretty good that these companies are out there doing that. And as you see, you know, 51% of the market is dealers, so only having auction statistics is not ideal. Um, and unfortunately, you can't just double them. Um, but yes, it, it, it's a fairly sizable industry, and people make a lot of money out of the art market. Um, but as you can see, it's pretty volatile. In, in 2009, um, so straight after the, the, the global market crash, the market reacted, the art market reacted quite quickly, and I think anyone who tells you that the art market doesn't react to the global economic uh, environment is, is somehow involved in the art market, because it's not true. <laughs> um, sorry, Henry, if, you, <laughs> if that's your belief. Um, but it can, it, I mean, it halved, and then, you know, gradually, gradually, gradually has, uh, <laughs> has, come, back, has come back up. Um, but it could quite easily halve again. Um, Sotheby's and Christie's don't like us to call them a duopoly, but they, again, they are. Um, but China is there, really, really, really there. I think someone, someone retweeted one of my tweets today and said, I don't know if you're here, <laughs> and said China is the number one market. And it's actually, potentially, that is true. Um, if you look... Here and this is this is just to show you where, where China has come from, 
and where it might be going. This is in only four years. Um, China, which is, which is conveniently red, um, has gone for, from being 5%, and this is of the whole market, again, this is, this is dealers and auction, to being 23%, and where it has taken market share is from the US and the UK, which according to this data, again from Arts Economics, puts China ahead of the UK. Um, and the others, the, the, the section that says others, that doesn't have other emerging markets in it. That includes Italy, Switzerland, um, Germany. China, compared to the other emerging markets we will talk about, is, is, is streets ahead in value terms. Just before we look at the emerging markets, we need to look at why we call them emerging um, and what, why they are not developed markets, um, especially for a country like China. Obviously, for a market, you need buyers and sellers. Um, that is the basis of, I mean, that is why you call, I think, why you call something a market. Um, you also need what I would call the mechanisms around that, so the galleries, who are, who are in some ways agents, the auction houses, who are maybe also agents or like a stock exchange for, for art. Um, and now increasingly the art fairs who you know, do for dealers what, uh, what the auction houses do for themselves. Um, and then underpinning all that, you, you hope, in a developed market is the validation you get from museums that, that are independent or certainly meant to be independent from the market, that are tastemakers, that have a much longer term view, um, and education, um, both of artists and of, you know, of, of people studying art as a, as a subject. Um, that is the, the important non-commercial backdrop to the commercial, the commercial world. And then lack of red tape really is, and you will see as we, as we go through, that there are some markets that I would almost call developed if it wasn't for the tax regime or the government support. Um, that is a very, plays a very important part. If, you were buying, if you're buying a painting from Argentina and someone tells you, well, in order to take that painting out the country, you are going to have to go to this building and that building and sign this form and sign that form, and then you'll be able to get it out, but there'll be a little tax you have to pay. Whereas you could go to an art fair in Miami, the gallery would probably be there and, and, and be a lot more exempt from such regulation for that, for that week. You're probably going to buy in the US rather than in South America, I think. Um, so what markets are emerging? I mean, it's, it's the obvious ones. It, it's brick uh, for art, also the Middle East. Um, here is a, you know, a quote saying that it, it's, the growth of, it's the growth of personal income that is really important. Um, and here I've listed Russia, China, Brazil, India, the UAE are the top five between 2000 and 2010, show the top five income growth, and they happen to be the same, the same markets I would talk about. And twas ever thus, I mean, money and art have always gone together. Countries, when they start making a lot of money, people very soon, uh, very soon start to think about their culture and their own private culture as well as, as, well as public. 
Um, and Qatar actually wasn't included in this list. I don't know why. So all, all, I, could, all I could get was that last year Qatar had the, had the fastest growing economy in the world, according to the IMF. Um, and Qatar obviously benefits from a lot of the same, uh, you know, the time zone situation and, as the UAE, but it is a very different and much wealthier country than some of its counterparts. Um, and in fact, there are, there are differences between all these countries, and that is the point of what I'm about to, what I'm about to talk about. It's pretty general. We've got, you know, 35 minutes now to whiz through quite a lot of countries, and I will be talking very, very, very broadly. There are obviously subtleties within every single zone, um, but I hope that all the, the, the important characteristics come out. So as we've said, we've seen China's market share um, of the whole market for auctions alone. Is China already already at the top? Um, art price says that they took they, they accounted China accounted for 33 percent of art sales. Um, there's been a, a complete explosion of auction houses. If you think in China there were no real auction houses until the 1980s whereas in the UK we have ours are 18th century, you know, Christie's 1766 so we're talking 250 years compared to 20 years um, 30 years <laughs> um, and they have nine auction houses in the top 20 by, by sale turnover um, Sotheby's and Christie's for the first half of this year made just over 3 billion US dollars when I, when I say dollars, by the way, I will mean US dollars unless I say others. Um, Sotheby's made $3 billion, just over $3 billion, but Poly Auction House, which is China's largest, um, made over $1 billion, and Guardian, which is uh, chasing it, uh, made about $850 million. Pound, uh, dollars, sorry. And um, they also, Guardian has said fairly explicitly that it wants to open in London, it wants to open in New York. Uh, Polly has said, we're looking at an IPO, you know, we want to be a nice big public company. They haven't said where they're going to list, but these places have proper international ambitions um, and they, uh, they have the collectors behind them. China also has very, a very strong history of decent art schools. And the other thing you'll notice as we, as we go through is what is very, very important to, to a developing art market is faith, <laughs> is faith in, um, in your own artists so that actually your own living artists, although it's very, very important to have your tradition and to believe in your history, and to sell your artists outside and to buy art from outside. Belief in your own art gives a real support mechanism and real depth. Um, and it, most, if you look in history at markets that have become what we now call developed markets, they all began by nurturing their own. Um, although China in particular uh, is not completely dependent on its own artists and in fact most of the mainland, when I say China, I'm talking about the mainland at the moment, not, not Hong Kong. Most of the mainland buying is, um, is, of, older, is of older art. That's just, a, there, there was a, a list of the top, again by art price, of the, the top 10 or top 100, I think they do, contemporary artists sold at auction. 
And of those five of them, this is the most recent one, it was actually six the year before, five of them were Chinese. And that, is, that gives you a sense of their sheer international appeal. This is not, this is not just a little market uh, out east that we think is quite quaint. This work, which was in, it was in the Guy Miriam Ullens Foundations, they're very, very big, originally Belgian collectors um, that had a huge and, and, well, huge and important collection in China that uh, unfortunately looks like it's, it's being sold off bit by bit. But this particular sale, um, you know, this, this work sold for $6.2 million, which is, uh, which is international prices. It's, it's completely up there with a Warhol or, you know, any artist you can think of coming up for auction this week in New York. The infrastructure, again, the galleries, like the auction houses, very, very recent, relatively recent to have galleries. Um, Dashanzi, which means 798, um, was established in Beijing in, in the 1980s. And quite a lot, not only are there Chinese galleries there, quite a lot of overseas galleries went there. So Pace Gallery, um, big, big New York gallery, went to Beijing, I mean, a good 10 years before coming, it's just coming to London. Um, Hong Kong has become very, very important um, for, for a variety of reasons. It is, I mean, essentially it's Chinese, but it's not China. Um, it has all the qualities you want, as in it, it is part of China, it, Chinese people can buy from there and sell, but it doesn't have the taxes that China has, it doesn't have the censorship, it is an international port, it's been an international port for a very long time, and it can apply what, you know, it's a financial centre, it can apply what it does to finance, uh, to art, and it's incredibly international. Um, the art fair in Hong Kong is now part of the Art Basel franchise. So Art Basel that ha is, is in, obviously in Basel and in uh, next month in Miami now has an outpost. Its third post is Hong Kong. Um, and a lot is happening. A lot is happening in Hong Kong. This Hong Kong, Hong Kong equals London, Beijing equals Berlin. Well, I read something actually, Beijing equals LA, someone said the other day. So Hong Kong is like London. It's a financial trading center. Beijing is where the artists want to be. That's where the good art is. Um, and Singapore has a nice big free port to, uh, to hide your art, much like Switzerland. <laughs> so it's worth, worth thinking about. Um, as I said, there's, there's quite a lot of repatriating happening in China. People want objects that were once looted, especially from the... the, the, uh, from the I'll talk a little bit about the, the Imperial Palace, the summer, old summer palace in Beijing. Um, suffered a huge amount of looting in the in the 19th century in the Second Opium War, and quite a lot of collectors, Stanley Ho, you know the the big big gambling big gambling franchise, Joseph Lau, who's in property, they want to help their country get its glory back, get its treasures back. Um, there is also a gradual move towards contemporary art. Um, both their own and, and international. But what is quite important is it's not just by, you know, about two years ago, everyone said, well, China isn't a proper market because they're just buying back and they're not selling. They're just sort of absorbing and then they'll stop and the rest of us will have no, will have no goods. But they have been selling. And in fact, um, Yu Yichan, and I'm sorry about my pronunciation, very sorry, but he sold this work here very recently. Um, 
uh, having bought a much older work. So at least he's, he's trading. He's trading and he wants to open a museum and he's making money to open a museum. And there is still, you know, it used to be Guy Ullens, Charles Saatchi. There are a few people who bought, Uli Sig, who bought Chinese art. Now there is a huge amount. And as we saw just now, it's getting international prices. But there are problems. And that is why, as you know, this is why China is still a developing or an emerging market. The data is incredibly unreliable. So having given you all those great statistics, um, there, are, there are all sorts, all sorts of... I, I will point you to page 99 of the art newspaper this month has a fantastic article by a writer, Katie Hunt, who is, uh, who is quoted at the bottom there. Um, but just making the point that you don't actually know that something is sold in a Chinese auction, not for sure. Now, to be fair, you don't always know that here, but I think mm. it's on a much larger scale than here. And they will tell you that things have sold, but you're not, not 100% sure. There's a lot of fakes that go through the market and not a huge amount of authority in place to, to, to deal with that or to establish what is and what isn't a fake. All sorts of, you know, when I say insider dealing, that is people, you know, bidding on their own works, which, which again, I'm sure happens all around the world, but I think it's more prevalent uh, where, there's, where there's less regulation. Um, money laundering, um, I'm not saying it happens, but uh, it, the accusations are that it does. Um, one of the biggest problems, one of the most tangible problems at the moment is this problem of, of the, getting a reputation for not paying up. Um, and I was talking about the, uh, the Summer Palace earlier in Beijing and at the Yves Saint Laurent sale which was in February 2009 two beautiful animal heads from the Zodiac Fountain that was in this palace it's, an, it, it's a very famous 18th century artifact, object very precious to a lot of people in, in China because it came from this old summer palace it was looted, it was clearly broken up into the 12 animals of the Zodiac um, and you know, five of them are still missing, five of these animals. But the guy who bought, he bought these two for $40 million in the auction um, and never paid. He was making a point, he made it very visibly, it was a lot of money, and the, 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 the heads have gone back to, to Pierre Berger, who is, um, Yves Saint Laurent's, was Yves Saint Laurent's boyfriend. Um, and there was also a very high-profile case of a, a Qing vase that sold in, I don't know if you saw in the Pinner auction house here, that made, you know, it was, I think the estimate was about £200,000, and it made £51.6 And the auctioneer brought down the gavel, which broke, because he was so excited. But this is a year ago. It's, it's pretty much almost literally to the day, a year ago, and that still hasn't been paid for. Now, I hear that there is some, that over the next few weeks we'll hear some news on it, but uh, I haven't heard it yet, so we will see. And then this, you know, the arrest of Ai Weiwei, I, I don't think can be taken lightly. I think uh, it is one thing to have great art schools and to buy your own country's art, but to, to have a, a sort of campaign of terror against an artist who is arguably too expressive and making too much of a point but he's an artist, he's a person it's freedom of speech and what we're on freedom of creativity 
to, to imprison someone and I think the latest is he has to pay 2.5 million dollars of tax by this Friday and so goodness knows what happens if he doesn't. Um, these are the sort of things that don't happen in a developed art market and can completely destabilize the system. Um, so yes, like I said, I've ended China with a bit of a plug for our own paper. Um, but there are lots of, you know, for a market with that much clout, there are more problems than, uh, than I think it first meets the eye. Um, Russia is, is, fasc is fascinating. I mean, all these countries are fascinating. But Russia is fascinating because it has such an enormous amount of wealth. And, you know, oil, despite the weak economy, oil is fluctuating, but, it's, but the price of oil is pretty high. Um, and in fact, unrest in the Middle East helps oil prices go, go even higher. Um, and much like in China, there is also this political, we want our country, you, we want our country to be the best. We want to put it top dog. Um, and this, so Potanin, the Malievich's Black Square was, uh, I think it was up for auction, not in Russia. And it got pulled from auctions because, or maybe it was in Russia, but the, the Russian authorities said that, you know, that belongs here. You can't sell it. But in the end, Potanin bought it privately and then for a million dollars and donated it to the Hermitage Museum to say, we are, Russia is great. This is our artist. Uh, Rostropovich was fascinating. Rostropovich was a musician. And Sotheby's won this fantastic consignment of his entire collection, which ranged from some fairly you know, decent art to weird little puppety objects and uh, really fun, fun things. And every single object had been priced, catalogued, estimated, and two days before the sale, um, Alisha Usmanov, who I think owns a little bit of Arsenal Football Club, um, or if not all of it, um, said, I want the lot. And he bought the lot. And we don't know how much for. I think it was a, it was rumoured, but I think between 30 and 40 million pounds. But it was an act of, I am bringing these back to Russia. I'm going to build, he said, I'm going to build a museum for them. Which I'm not sure he has. That's, what, that's one to follow up. Um, what is interesting in Russia is actually, and again, whatever people in Russia departments say to you, there isn't a huge amount of support for their own artists. Um, there's a ton of Western brand name buying. Um, and this, I, I did, can you actually, at the back, can you see the images and things with this lovely, this rather lovely large lady, um, Sue, the benefit supervisor sleeping, which was the, was the highest price ever paid for a living artist um, before, before, before Freud died. Um, was bought for 33.6 million, which was a huge amount, I mean, and, and by Roman Abramovich, who the same week, if not the same sale, I'm trying to remember, bought a Francis Bacon for 60 million or so. I mean, it really was the most extraordinary. And you're thinking, why? Why does a Russian want a very, again, a very, very English artist? But there is a taste for, uh, for trophies. And you see it, I mean, it's not just paintings. Um, uh, Phillips de Puri, the auction house is owned, it was bought about three or four years ago by a Russian firm called Mercury. Um, and football clubs, you know, Abramovich owns Chelsea. Um, you know, th there is a need to buy the best uh, and to show that they can buy the best. Um, so, and yes, I think last, ni uh, last night's sale at Phillips de Puri in New York, there was quite a bit of Russian buying. So it helps as well, it helps the market. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I mentioned about that there not being a lot of support for their own artists. There isn't, the market is generally not very supported in Russia. There's a lot of individuals with a lot of money, often who aren't based in Russia, and I think that's another important thing. You know, they're, they're living in London or living where there are tax advantages or where they can't get arrested. So that is off the record. <laughs> or there will be podcasts. <laughs> but, you know, living, they've moved out of, they've moved out of Russia. Um, they have good art schools, but it's a very old-fashioned way of teaching art. They don't want to be progressive, even though I think some of their artists do. Um, there are some private spaces coming. Dasha Zukova, who is, who is um, Abramovich's girlfriend, has opened a, 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 a huge contemporary art museum and a magazine. I don't, the magazine is actually headquartered here. I don't know if you've, if you've seen it. But they had an art fair and it was cancelled. It's all a bit patchy. Um, they do have a couple of art funds. Art funds, art funds I'll mention you know, in, in a few places. Um, because they are in themselves a phenomenon of, of recent years. And they have a terribly bad reputation. <laughs> but generally speaking, to have, an art, to have a, a country with art funds is not a bad thing. It's actually a sign of a maturer market. And an art fund should be just another important collector in the market. I think the problem with art funds, and we'll talk about this a bit more, especially when we talk about India, um, the problem with art funds is that they were set up at a time when money could be made very quickly out of art, which was a very, very, very short amount of time. And spec art generally takes a long time to make money on. Uh, so a lot of them failed for that reason. But we will t I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, I know Ukraine isn't Russia, but it's a, it's a bit of an aside and it, because it's worth mentioning. Um, there's one incredibly important collector, and I just love the cheesiness of this photo. Jeff Coons with his massive smile, because he's got, he's got this guy, Victor, Victor Pinchuk, who loves him. He loves Coons, he loves Hearst. He, I mean, serious brand buying. Most of his artists are at the White Cube Gallery or the Gagosian Gallery, you know, the, 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 the most big brand galleries. Um, and it's just been the fifth anniversary of his center. But what is really, really interesting, and I think something that most museums here would be jealous of, is that 60% of their visitors in the, in the Pinchuk Museum are between 16 and 30. Now, I don't, I'm sure you guys go to museums, but when I go, everyone is, is sort of my age, which is, I'm afraid, not 16 to 30, um, and, and, and female and white, whereas I think in the Ukraine, there's a, just, it's a much more mixed, enthusiastic support for the arts, and I think that's going to be quite interesting in the future. Um, Pinchuk is interested in Chinese arts, and then you, you're getting the emerging economies supporting themselves. Um, and I, I'm not going to be rude again about, <laughs> about Russians and Ukrainians, but they, they, there is a history of cleaning up your act through public art and through buying art, and I, I think Pinchuk has a few skeletons in his cupboard that, uh, that are being nicely, nicely paved over. That's not too many metaphors. So India. Uh, um, India actually has very different dynamics. It, you would think, and everyone did think, it would be the, uh, it would be the next best thing um, after China because it has so many millionaires. I mean, it's a huge country. It has, it has a lot of people who aren't millionaires as well. But 55 for, for, for art, as we've seen, money is very important. Well, the thing about India, though, is it's a much more... 
it's not about they don't want to buy back trophies they don't want to buy art for its symbolism they want to buy it for what it is they want to make money on it they don't mind spending money on it if it's worth something it's much more pragmatic practical let's you know let, let's see what we can do with it and they, you know, because they're so technologically advanced in India um, they went straight to online auction saffron.com I think you know one, very very early on while all the online ventures here were, were failing I mean they're, they're a bit better now in the in the big for the big auction houses but there were some terrible disasters of money spent uh, spent on online selling in the UK and well by Sotheby's and Christie's basically um, but now, but uh, in India, they did incredibly well with it. But uh, unfortunately, as I as I mentioned, it, this sort of went hand in hand with this kind of obsession with art funds. And I think they made the art funds for you know between 2006 and 2008 probably made a huge amount of money, uh, very very quickly. And I think there was this belief that you could just keep going and just keep going. And unfortunately as I, I'm sure Jeffrey spoke about last time, you know, we were in a bubble. It really was a classic bubble. And <laughs> the bubble burst, and, you know, all these Ossians, which was the biggest art fund, was, was very... was. I mean, it's still in trouble. Um, the, the, the SEBI, which is the Securities and Exchange Board in India, has then tightened up the regulation about art fund and art fund buying. And this quote at the bottom might just... Oh, is it? oh, it's not there. Hang on. Yeah, I've got an odd thing on there. Right, there's a question. Um, there are newer investing fads now in India, for instance, wine. So they've just moved on. So fine, we tried a bit of art, but actually... And wine is a lot, more, a lot easier to quantify. Um, you, know, you know when the bottle... You know when the wine was made, you know what its value is. It's a lot easier than a painting in some ways. And it tastes nice. Um, the, the, the lack of public museums is a huge factor in India. I mean, I don't know if any, I'm sure you have travelled there, but I don't know how many of you have been to a museum in India. Um, I, I think we, I tried incredibly hard. I think we found one contemporary museum, uh, and that was it. Um, I mean, I didn't I didn't look everywhere, uh, but it, it's a it, it's very different from from what I expected. They do have an art fair, and it's just been bought by the same people who started up Art Hong Kong and have turned that into a huge international beast. Um, and the, 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 the director of the fair, I met her earlier this year, she said, we're going to be more international, and you know they want to get all the big galleries, and quite a lot of people aren't sure that that's what they want. We've got a lot of international art fairs. We've got Freeze. We've got the Basel franchise. Do we, need, do we need someone else to be international or do what India actually needs? And if you talk to the, the, the guy who runs the Natural Mort Gallery, uh, Peter, Peter Nagy, he said, we don't want to be international. We need to develop our own market. We need to show how good our art is here. We need to be the place that everyone comes to buy Indian art. Uh, because if you want a hub in Asia, people are going to go to the Hong Kong Fair. It's already there. Um, but you never know. Uh, there are... There are some important collectors. There aren't as many. They don't buy at an international level, I think, for the same reason as I was saying earlier, um, which is simply that, that they don't... Why? Why would you spend that amount of money? Why? 
um, which isn't necessarily stupid. Um, and uh, yes, I've put here this, uh, this stat that was out this week that the confidence, this confidence indicator which Art Tactic do, which is their own indicator, their own index of taste and opinion, and I'm sure Jeffrey can say more about it if you want him to, but they found that confidence is down 28%. This is, I mean, in six months, that's, pretty, that's a pretty big fall. Um, a lot of their artists have moved, a lot of the artists don't stay. A lot of our galleries are taking advantage of it. A lot of the developed galleries, you know, if you go to Hauser and Worth Gallery, I think they have the three best Indian artists actually show with them, or Listen Gallery, you know. We are taking advantage and, and raping and pillaging. Um, but everything is, I mean, this quote from the artist Jitish Khalid, who does actually live, I think he lives in Mumbai, but we seem to be having fortnightly auctions, but I couldn't count more than a, handle, a handful of arts conferences and seminars, is really important. This is the infrastructure point. It's all very well having a market, but it needs to have this non-commercial side, this support and belief for, in order to, 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 to be sustained. So I, I suspect India's going to be a bit of a disappointment. We can go back to some trophy hunters. Let's go to the Middle East. Um, I, the, the growth. I, I noticed actually that this week there's a talk about the here about the about the Gulf um, and the changes in the Gulf. It has been extraordinary how fast um, the UAE and Qatar have wanted to to buy art. Um, they are building the Sadiat Island project has got a Louvre in it and a Guggenheim and these are huge buildings designed by world famous architect you know John Nouvelle proper proper I mean it's it's a fantasy land if you had to sit and think uh, what would be my ideal museum they've picked the best architects the best positions uh, the, and they're buying they hope the best art and that's having an amazing effect um, we recently ran a story about Qatar. Is that Qatar is actually the biggest contemporary collector of art in the world. Um, they're doing it quite quietly. I mean, they bought this Damien Hirst um, in, back in 2007 for 9.2 million. Um, that is just one of, uh, of several million pound plus works that, that, that has, have been going to Qatar. Um, Dubai is, is still in a bit of trouble um, because Dubai is actually more of a financial centre than, than, than an oil resource uh, these days, as I'm sure, I'm sure you know. Um, but Christie's and Bonham still have their, they're still headquartered, or their, their Middle East headquarters are in Dubai. The infrastructure is pretty strong in the Middle East, and I think... You know, the, the criticism used to be they have no museums, but they're, they're, they're working quite hard uh, to, to counter that. Um, <coughs> they have two... Oh, sorry, I think it's Abbott Derby. It should be Abu Derby. Uh, they have two... Uh, Fairs Art Dubai is, had its fifth edition this March. So five years of an art fair that is attracting international collectors is pretty good going. Um, and Abu Dhabi is, is about to have its third edition. Um, and there are some things that, that have been quite surprising about the Middle East. And I think, you know, yes, 
there are restrictions on the sort of art you can show. Um, but actually, we found at Freeze this year, there was a, there's a gallery there called the Third Line that had come that comes from, that is based in Dubai, and they had brought the most politically challenging art at the fair. Everyone else had bought quite safe, steady artists who had been in museum retrospectives. But the, the, it was the Middle East galleries that were a bit more challenging. Uh, and I think the other thing that has surprised people is that in, in, a, in a region that is associated with sort of uh, with, not, with not giving its women much freedom, it has been the women of, um, of the Middle East who have been incredibly important collectors. Um, in Qatar, the Altani family, which is the, 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 the monarchy, basically, uh, Sheikha Mayasa runs the QMA, the Qatar Museums Authority. She is in charge of all these extraordinary museum building. Um, Abu Dhabi, again, uh, you know, Sheikha Salama, this, this quote at the bottom actually was from, was from an article rather cheesily called Movers and Shakers, S-H-E-I-K-H-A-S. But a royal lady, you know, is a role model and people want to follow her. And I think that wasn't, that wasn't expected. I think it's been quite a pleasant surprise. But of course, there, of course, there are problems. Uh, otherwise, I'd be calling it a developed market. Um, there, that maybe too, they did too much too fast, and maybe announcing we're going to build three of the best museums in the world in in two years was a little ambitious. So they said that these these two, the Guggenheim and Louvre, are part of the Sadia Island complex, and they said the whole project is um, it has now been extended, and we don't know for how long. Mm. Bonhams has cancelled sales there. And Christie has said that they now want to push works of quality with more quality and affordable prices. And I think, obviously, they'd say quality. I think it's quite unusual to hear an auction house say, of Christie's stature saying we need to have more affordable prices. Um, they're looking at sort of $1,000 plus, which is not where they started at in, uh, in the Middle East. Um, and if you look at that... <laughs> Look at that graph. That's what's happened to their sales. It's just all a bit, it's all a bit patchy. It's not going quite as well as people thought it would. Um, Qatar has been in the market, the, the rumour for years. The rumour for years is that Qatar is going to buy Christie's. But I don't know, you know, what, what I have heard is that Qatar thinks it should pay a price to Christie's that is more related to the end of that graph whereas Christie's one surprise that is more related to the top of the graph um, so I'm not sure that it will happen soon you never know um, Latin America is the region that most people, if you talk to people in the market, especially uh, people who are more the art side of the art market, Latin America is the region they get most excited by um, partly because it has this strong tradition. You know, Latin America is not completely new to collecting. It's not doing what the Middle East is doing and shoving a, a big building there and filling it with art. They've been buying art, they've been making art, they've been thinking about art for quite a long time. Um, art Basel Miami Beach, which was founded, um, well, 10 years ago this December, actually. It was, it was meant to be in 2001, but... Um, because of 9-11, they, they postponed. But the reason, the real reason that Art Basel Miami Beach started was to capture that South of the South American market, and Mexico um, and Latin America. They, um, 
they have an art fund. Like I say, art funds are an indication that it's worth, you know, people think it's worth buying art. But it's a very, 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 very small market. Um, so, I, you know, it, it seems to... Um, Brazil, Brazil is the most... Oh, hang on, have I skipped? No, Brazil is the, is the most important market within, but, and it seems to have all the right ingredients to have a domestic market. And as I was saying before, it's, that's almost the most important thing. A domestic market that is growing by 50%. I mean, I don't know, not 100% sure how people justify these numbers, but... Uh, it seems to, I think it, a lot of it is, you can see it. Uh, I believe quite a lot of it. Um, but up 50% per year over the last decade is pretty good going, um, especially during a down, uh, economic downturn everywhere else. Um, beautiful, beautiful museums. Um, 16 billionaires, which, which, I mean, billionaires. That's pretty good going, and they all like their art. Um, they have some very important art fairs, and this Adriana Ferreyao, this again sold in London, so it's a bit like the Chinese art, that Brazilian art has an international market as well as its own market already. I think that was the first Latin American work to sell for over a million pounds, ever. Uh, it was 1.1 million in February. Um, did, I, did I put the name of the Collectors. Oh, I did. Oh, sorry. This is the, the, yes. Yeah, so I'll just talk a little bit about the collectors. So uh, the, these are these are some of the, the billionaires. But in Brazil, you've got Bernardo Paz, who's actually married to the artist who did who did that work. So it's convenient if you're an artist to marry marry a Brazilian billionaire. Um, but he has a beautiful, a beautiful. Uh, but I guess it's a, it's a museum. It's his own art, but it's a private it's a private museum called Inho Team. Um, and then. But of course, there are problems. Uh, the, one of the reasons why it's very difficult to put numbers on Latin American art is because a lot of it isn't sold as Latin American art. So you have to go through, so that that, that uh, Ferreira work was sold in a contemporary auction in London. So you have to go through every auction and strip out the, the Brazilian artists, and that's you know that's not that straightforward. Most of the sales don't happen in South America, um, and that is another problem, uh, which is that people don't particularly uh, want to travel to South America. It's much easier to go to New York. It's not an easy place to go to. Um, import tax. I mean, thirty six percent. I mean, it's just enormous. The the the, the good thing about taxes, and then this guy, this new. Um, New Culture Secretary, I've mentioned Emilio Kalil. He wants to lift the tax. And the, the great thing about a tax is you can just lift it. It is not like some of these other structural, you know, it takes a lot longer to build a museum uh, or a decent art school than it does to lift a tax. And in fact, in Hong Kong, they, when they, they lifted a tax on wine sales, um, and straight away after, Hong Kong is now the biggest market for wine, by, I mean, hands down, for French wine, people buy in Hong Kong. Um, so, but but yes, thirty-six percent is not is not great. Uh, Mexico is also very important, and uh, I mean, and I mentioned Argentina. I don't talk about Argentina here, but Mexico is also very important, and is moving very much towards private, you know, private galleries and private um, private money funding the arts. This Carlos Slim, who is who is the richest man in the world, has this enormous. Uh, this is his museum. Um, which is named after his, his late wife, Sumaya. 
Um, uh, the word on the street is that the stuff in there isn't very tasteful. <laughs> I'm afraid I haven't been. Um, but this dealer, he doesn't look for quality. He buys what is cheap. But at least he's buying. Um, and the Umex collection, you know, this is uh, Eugenio Lopez, the, the, the juice, the juice family. Um, his museum is seen as as a little more tasteful. Um, there aren't many people below the billionaire level, and again, there's a huge there's a huge tax. But they have a great art fair, um, which uh, which is very well attended, actually. But I will I will stop there because I've run a tiny bit over. Thank you very 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 much for listening. No, Japan is really, really interesting. Um, I'm always surprised that there isn't more in Japan because, as a as a country, as a nation, they're quite creative. Um, there's also a very long tradition. You know, the, the 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 passion for ceramics and even you know clothes and the importance of the object and you know the the, the and the creator. It has again all the right ingredients. Japan, I. Suspend. Japan was a huge, huge buyer in the 1980s and is always held, held completely responsible for the crash of the 19, early 1990s. But I suspect what happened was a slight jumping too fast into the international markets before supporting their own. Whereas China has started, and this is guess because I don't have, you know, I don't know what could have been. Um, but I think uh, China has started by investing in its own heritage, its own and its own young artists, and it wants to support that. I. But China has more other problems. I think I, um, I am surprised that the Japan market isn't uh, isn't quite isn't in this presentation. <laughs> um, I hope it will be one day. I think you get. I mean. You know the the problem is the most famous Japanese artist is is an American now, um, and sorry, but it's Murakami. He does great things, and Kaikai Kiki is a fantastic venture, but it's tiny compared to the rest of Japan, and there just doesn't seem to be some a real belief in 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 starting the market from its grassroots. Um, but I am surprised. It's a, you know it's a luxury goods paradise. I, th I think it's because of the economy. I do. Th I think it must be. I think if you have no, you know, looking at the, the, the GDP growth chart, if you have a country that has, I mean, and this is, this is what's going to happen to the rest of us in the West as well. Uh, if you have zero interest rate, zero percent interest rate, people aren't making money anymore. If you're not making money, you're not going to buy big paintings. So I think, but I don't know. What's what's your view? Do you think, uh, I'm not thinking about the way they pushed up impressionist prices and then the parallel to how the Chinese characters are buying 20th century Chinese art? Yeah, I actually, I think that's a very good point. This, this, the 20th century art phenomenon in China, I did, I had a bullet on it, but I didn't mention it. It's a very, it's a very good point. There's this craze 
Well, in fact, there is something in, in the paper as well on this, uh, on the same page, page 99 is your, is your Asia page. Uh, but there is an obsession with artists who are slightly westernized or who have trained in the West, trained in Paris, and painting abstract, you know, modern art, and the prices are insane. I do, I think, because the, the Japanese really did shove up the prices of impression and didn't pay. I mean, there is a, <laughs> there is a parallel there. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's, it, the same could happen. I think that's a very good point. Yes? Uh, is, is that you talked about this uh, freeze? Yes. Yes. And um, you, you were talking about Japan and talking about Latin America. And yes. I saw uh, only one uh, Far East uh, gallery that you mentioned. Yep. But actually there were like five or six Latin yes. American galleries. So, and, and you were saying like the market is not that... I mean, for me, I, I, as I see it in, in the freeze um, thing, yep. it's like boiling, it's like... No, I, I agree. No, I think, I mean, I, I, I hope, that's hopefully, I, maybe I, I, I do think that Latin America is the most exciting market of all. I think, without wanting to pass too much judgment, I think the art is the best. <laughs> uh, but that's an opinion and I'm not, you know, I'm not an art critic and, but compared to some of the other emerging art although you see some that is great I th there, and also I think I think Westerners like it because Latin America has a long tradition of Western you know, trade and people moving, I mean if you go to Patagonia, it's Switzerland. Do you know what I mean? So what I'm saying is with very Western eyes, uh, or very English eyes, but I think it has an appeal, and I think that will win through, and that's why I say investment, and it's a very intangible thing, why investment in your own artist matters, but it does. Um, and that's one reason why. You are, you are showing the world that you have something worth putting on your walls. Therefore, your galleries do very well. And I mean, you know, Damien Hurst has a house in Mexico. And so his gallery, Kuri Manzutu, who I think were at Freeze, they're doing very well. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's just an, they have an engagement with the international. No, and, I, and Matthew Slotover, the director, co-director of Freeze, is, is probably the Brazilian, uh, Brazilian arts biggest fan. So that's a, that's a good observation. <laughs> but it, I think there are still problems. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yes? Sorry, this man here, gentleman here with the glasses, please. Yes. Oh. Um, to what extent does the market in the UK validate um, artists working in emerging markets and drive the dynamic there? So, for example, let's say we have Francis Avis exhibit in London. Yep. All of a sudden, does that give him more credibility in his home market than he otherwise wouldn't have had because London is a cultural thing. Yeah, I mean I think that's I think that's a really important point and I think I, I think that the London market and the New York market are trying very hard to be those arbiters of taste because we don't want the markets to go anywhere else. We don't really we don't really want Hong Kong. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit of you know, I mean we do in a way we want the buyers, but we don't want to lose our ground. What we have here <coughs> In, and in New York, especially for contemporary, 
Um, but like you say, we have Tate Modern, we have MoMA, we have the Guggenheim. We can give some international recognition that the other that the other other countries can't yet do. I don't know, hand on heart, how that affects people back home. Um, I'm sure that I would think people are quite proud. Um, so yes, I, I think that's a very good point though. We, we, and, and the galleries, you know, as I say, you look at, um, well, the, 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 uh, the, a lot of the work that I put up that has been sold for huge numbers, um, inc yeah, including for Latin America, for China, their, their galleries are Gagosian or White Cube or Hauser and Worth. We're, we're moving in quickly. So we're not doing the markets any favours, I, I, I don't think, because um, it would be better if the regional galleries could try and build their artists before Larry Gagosian poaches them. But we need them because <laughs> we're not having a good time here. <laughs> yes, at the back in black coat. Um, as you said, and I really appreciated that when you said that you have to invest also and appreciate the domestic market. Um, I'd like to ask you, as it reflects the, the culture and the, the everything of the country or even the continent, so what about, what about the African continent? I mean, as you know, that they have a great history. I mean, they based on the way they lived in the past, and they, I think all these things should be reflected in some way, and art is a very good way to express what, what they live. So, do uh, you see any emerging country within the, the, the uh, uh, marketing, uh, the art market or something like that? I mean, what's the current state of... Uh, yes, uh, the, the, we, had a, we had a joke in our office, because my, my full job title is, uh, I, because I, I basically, I, I am the art market editor for everywhere apart from America, but they, so they put in my job title, um, actually I can't even remember what it is, but I think it's Europe... Asia and Africa and someone said to me you know like you ever have to write about Africa and it is one of those things that you think goodness why not I mean it really I, it, I do I think that there is a huge economic instability issue but actually Africa is becoming a new a new point on the radar the Tate has just appointed a curator of African art and it is sponsored and I can't remember the name of the bank. I think, yes, thank you, yes. Uh, the, the, the role is sponsored by Guarantee Bank um, in Nigeria, am I right? They're a Nigerian bank, um, which is the most amazing thing to have done. And actually, st to talk about starting in the right place, in a way, that's a better thing to do. It's, uh, going back to this gentleman's question, better to get some validation at Tate Modern um, than build a, another museum. <laughs> Um, a gallery has just opened in Mason's Yard next to White Cube called Jack Bell Gallery. And he's starting with, I think it's African photography. And there's just a little bit of a groundswell. South African, William Kentridge. Uh, I mean, and I know South Africa is a, is a slightly different beast, but that is where the money is in Africa, Joburg. Um, it's there. It's never quite taken off, but I do wonder, I do think this, this tape curator will make a very big difference, so I'm, I'm keeping my eye on it. So I tell people they can't say my job title is a joke. <laughs> and then that gentleman in the red, oh sorry. Right, what about Turkey? Would you suggest to Turkish young artists, it's better for them to sell in, in, in their own 
country, as you said, I mean, to, to find support in their own countries or to find support somewhere else, for example, in London? Turkey is doing, I mean, Turkey, is a, 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 a Turkey and Romania, actually, at the moment, are doing incredibly well. And Tur Turkey has the advantage of not being in the euro at the moment as well. So people are quite enjoying, you know, the, uh, you just had the Biennale. Yeah. Um, uh, and my colleagues who went, I'm afraid I didn't go, but they said it was one of the best. So th this may be a contender, actually. Turkey may fight, may fight Brazil, but some of the best art they, they have seen for a long, long time. Um, I think Turkey is quite, is relatively developed, actually. I, I'm not sure how much it is an emerging market anymore. It probably just gets swallowed a bit into Europe. Um, so, but it's not the same. I, I agree. And so there was a <laughs> the lady in the white and the lady in the blue. <laughs> you have to struggle to get. So, how do you think about Korean art market? The, the Korean art market, and you think that the Korean artists are still competitive uh, compared with the other two East Asia countries? Korea are very, very important buyers. Uh, and in Asia, uh, I think they can be slightly overlooked. I think Korea and Taiwan, um, which some count as China, but, but, but I don't think we should for a lot of reasons. Um, Korea are very important buyers. And they have some very important. And Samsung, Samsung, the uh, bank, was, in, was it a, yeah was incredibly important uh, buyer. I don't know as much about Korea. I have to admit, um, as I do the other markets, I don't know if that's because they're chiefly buyers and, and not uh, maybe they're not sellers, or maybe they. I don't know. I don't know as much about the. the we don't see the artists as much. I think China has sort of stamped on your feet a bit <laughs> would be but I um, I would definitely recommend there's a fantastic book just out by Ian Robertson who teaches for those of you who are at Sotheby's Institute his his last book he knows everything there is to know about uh, Asian markets especially Korea um, so I would definitely I would definitely point you ah voila <laughs> Gosh, I should charge him. <laughs> we should charge him. Like maybe just one more. Okay, oh, there was a lady in blue who I think has been waiting. Oh, dear. Uh, I have a question about. Uh, oh. Uh, I had a question about you were speaking of the um, emerging artists, I think he asked about it as well. And I believe it was in the art newspaper after his piece, it was talking about how a lot of sales for younger artists were really, really down. So I was just wondering if that was um, you know, to a specific region or country, or if that's an overall. I'm sorry, the one thing I missed was the country. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, that's what I was wondering. Ah, oh, well, generally. Yeah, if it's in general, uh, a specific country where you're seeing that, and then kind of <coughs> projections for the rest of the year. And, and I, think, actually, I think you're making a really good connection there between younger art and emerging art. And I think why this, and I probably should have said on my first slide, why do buyers, why do emerging buyers matter? One of the reasons they matter is because people have gone off slightly taking big risks on 
younger artists and that is the same it used to be that people would think oh which market can I you know where, where, where's Charles Saatchi great Saatchi's going to buy in India I'm going to buy in India I'm going to make a fortune that and when I say used to not not that long ago in the sort of run up to, to 2008 that was very much the attitude and a lot of these art funds not just the ones set up in emerging countries a lot of the ones here did exactly that because that that's the quick return, the high risk, high return. You find a young artist, you find a, an artist from a country that no one has been to, and you you back them and you you watch them triple in value because that doesn't happen in the boring, boring established IMSA mods market. Um, but I think you're exactly right. I think the taste for both has fallen. So what people are courting now is not the artists, but the buyers. They want the, the, the people with the money more than they want the art. <laughs> Please come, come and, and talk to me afterwards. I think that's is that the, what do we have? I think we have to stop. But please come and chat. I'm here. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Great question.